Ephesians chapter 1. Let's pray for God to help us. Father, help us, we pray. Help us as we come to study your word. But more than anything, help us as through your word we come to grasp and understand something of you. We pray, Father, that you would help us. You are so great. You are so infinitely great that to grasp you is very difficult for us. And we need the help of your Holy Spirit. We need our, our hearts and our minds expanded. We need you to come now and to reveal yourself to us. Reveal yourself to us and make yourself real in these areas that you have shown us in your word. So open our eyes that we could see, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. <clears throat> if you have something that you're really, really trying to understand, it's hard to grasp, uh, and you don't quite get it, um, then somebody may need to explain it to you. Maybe it's a math concept, or it's a science concept, or it's something is, is, uh, is, is more technically advanced than you're, you're used to. And, and so you have to have somebody explain it to you. And then after they explain it to you, they may draw a diagram and that'll help you to see and show it to you. And then after that, they may actually even demonstrate it for you to show you what, it, what, it's gonna, what it's gonna be like. Well, with God, we need all of that because God is just so infinite. Like everything about God is just so big and so infinite and so amazing that it all just, it all just kind of, it stretches our brains and our minds and our ability to comprehend just beyond anything. And, uh, and that's just the way it is with, with anything about God. We've looked at God's holiness. We've looked at, at this idea of adoption. We looked at, God, at God's foreknowledge and things like that. Well, certainly when it comes down to grace, grace, that is something that is beyond at times hard to, to grasp. In fact, it's interesting. No other religion has the concept of grace in it. No other religion. All of the other religions in the world, are, are they, they grope after God. Paul talks about this in the book of Acts. He talks about people groping. He went to Athens and he says that you might grope after God sort of in the darkness. And that's what all other religions are. Because the Bible says that through creation you can learn and know a lot about God. You can know of his eternal power. You can know of his holiness. You can even know of his goodness and his, and his mercy and how he's provided. You can know these things about God. But grace... Now, people don't even get close to grasping what grace is, and only Christianity, and only what God has done. And we're Christians now, and we're going to struggle here to understand what God's grace is. You know what's interesting? Look at verse chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 6. We're going to actually focus today on verse 6, chapter 1 of Ephesians. But look at, look at what's going on here. In verse 3, he tells us that God's blessed us with all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Then in verse 4, he talks about stuff that took place, plans that were made before the foundation of the world. You can't talk like this, but before the footer was even dug, before the, the block was even ordered, before anything showed up at the building site, before anything existed, before, before when there was nothing no stars, no, no, no oxygen or helium or atoms or molecules or, or galaxies or anything. Before there was nothing, there was nothing before that. 
Way before that, God has this plan that he's working on. And this plan involves Christ, and his plan involves us, and his plan involves us being coming holy, and his plan involves us being adopted. That's what we've been looking at so far. And it's all been a, a plan, a really good plan that he's made in verse 5. And then verse 6 says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. The final end of the plan is to the praise of the glory of his grace. What's that mean? Step back for a second. What's that mean? That means that everything that exists, the whole purpose and meaning of life, every read, the whole creation, God creating all of history, everything that has gone on from God creating angels to God creating the heavens and the earth to God creating the stars and the planets and the skies and everything, all of this in one very real sense, was to show forth the glory of his grace. Of his grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Now, grace is actually the dominant theme of Ephesians, uh, especially the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Grace is the dominant theme. Look with me to this. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 2. Grace to you and peace. Verse 6, the verse we're going to study today, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Look at verse 7. According to the riches of his grace. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, very important verses because they tell us how important we need grace. In chapter 2, verse 1, Paul describes us as dead in trespasses and sins. In chapter 2, he describes us as the sons of disobedience following after the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who works in the, in the sons of disobedience. In chapter, verse 3, he calls us the children of wrath following our desires and, and lusts. But then look at verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy, there's that idea, that's, that's another way grace is described, because of his great love with which he loved us. Then look at verse 5. When we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Look at verse 7. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Then verse 8, he sort of summarizes this section. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This whole theme is about grace. Grace, grace, grace. And so let's look at chapter 1, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Let's meditate on that phrase right now. Let's just meditate on God's grace. One of the things that the Bible teaches us about God's grace is that God's grace is huge, huge, vast, infinite, broad and wide. That's it. you got to think big when you think God's grace. Like think of an ocean. Think of an ocean. And think you're on a boat. The boat's going pretty fast. And you've been on the boat for three days. And all you've seen for three days is just ocean all around you. And you're not, even, you're not even crossed it yet. You're not even close. You're just on, think of this vast, vast ocean. And the Bible speaks of that. Look at chapter 3. Here it's describing, in Ephesians chapter 3, it's going to describe the love of Christ. But notice how it describes it. But before it describes it, before Paul describes the love of Christ, he, he, he sort of pray, he, he describes a prayer. In chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. I'm going to pray, Paul says. And this is what I'm going to pray. Look at verse 16. 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Okay, that's the prayer. I'm going to pray that God is going to give you his Holy Spirit, and that spirit is going to come with power, and that's going to give you power and strength to do what? To do what? Well, look at verse 18. That you may be able to comprehend. So he's praying for strength that we could comprehend something. We need Holy Spirit's supernatural strength to grasp something, to comprehend something. What? With all the saints, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height? So think of this. The width, that way to that way. The length, that way to that way. The depth, that way. And the height, that way. So think of, think of an ocean, a vast ocean that goes on forever to the east, forever to the west, forever to the north, forever to the south, forever down. You could drop a line and you just keep dropping it. It'll never, forever down. But then this ocean goes forever up that way. He wants you to grasp something that is infinitely big. And what is it? To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. So he's praying for the Holy Spirit to give you strength so that you can comprehend something that passes knowledge. And that that which you're going to try to comprehend, which passes knowledge, which you need Holy Spirit's strength to comprehend, is the love of Christ. And once you grasp that, look at the end of verse 19, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Think of, think of the grace of God. You just got to think massive. I was looking at uh, trying to illustrate this, and so I went on a website and said, how big is a tsunami? How big is a tsunami? And they were showing these, these videos of like these, these uh, animated things that are showing how big a tsunami is. And then they would have like the Empire State Building there. And they would have the Eiffel Tower there. And you would look at this wave and you would think, oh my, oh my. It's like towering over this thing. And you realize, and that's what the grace of God is. It's this tsunami. It's, there's a vastness to it. And that's what's being said here. Paul describes it in another way too. Not just this length and depth and breadth and height. Paul describes it in another way. He describes it that God is rich in grace. Now, let's, get a, let's try to get a hold of what this means to be rich, okay? So let me illustrate this for you. If a person makes $50,000 a year, okay? Good salary. A person makes $50,000 a year. If they make $50,000 a year, they make 52 weeks out of the year, divided into it, they make $960 a week, okay? Now, the kids are sitting here thinking, $960 a week, that's amazing, you know, because it is. You get your, if, you're, if you get an allowance and it's like three bucks a week or whatever allowance is, that's like amazing, okay? So then I said, okay, now, let's find a rich guy, okay? So I just, I just went with college football coaches, all right? And uh, the top-paying college football coach is, yes, we all know who it is. For those of you who follow college football, we don't like him. Maybe you do. Uh, it's Nick Saban, yes, in, the, in Alabama. And he makes $11 million, uh, about $11,750,000 a year, okay? Now, that means that Nick Saban, how much does he make a week? Well, Nick Saban makes... $211,500 a week. A week. In other words, somebody who makes $50,000 a year has to work four years, 
sweat for four years for 52 weeks. I didn't give anybody a vacation here to make what Nick Saban makes in a week. A week. That's what it is if you make $11 million, okay? And don't even start, don't even get me started here, okay? How many games is that? How many quarters is that? This is absolutely immoral and ridiculous, but that's another story for another time. Let's move on. So what would it be if you were an Elon Musk and you made a billion dollars a year? And you can do that, by the way. Those guys can do it. They can make a billion dollars in one year. How much would you make in a week if you made a billion dollars last year? Well, you would make $20 million a week. You would make double what Nick Saban makes in a year in one week. All right? Now, what starts to happen to us at this point? The numbers just start to be so big, it's hard to even comprehend. $200 million a week? That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, I mean, $20 million a week? That's crazy. That's crazy. But that's riches. Now, what Paul does is Paul likes to use this idea of riches not for money. He likes to use it for how rich God is in something. And notice that it has to do with his grace. God is rich in grace. Look at chapter 1 and verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches, the riches of his grace. $20 million a week is nothing in terms of God's grace, the riches of his grace. Look at chapter 2 and verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Look at chapter 2 and verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches, exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So one thing we know about God's grace is that God is rich in grace. Grace is vast. Grace is huge. Grace is infinite. Grace is hard to comprehend. It is so, so great. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to even comprehend it. Now, that's one thing about grace. Another thing about grace is this. Grace is really hard to do. Grace is really hard to do. To extend grace is very hard to do. You say, Todd, what do you mean by that? What do you mean it's hard to do? Well, it is hard to do. I'll tell you why. Because when God commands us and orders us to extend grace, it's really hard. Have you ever tried it? Here's how it works. Love your enemies as yourself. Love your enemies. Be genuinely concerned about the well-being of your enemy. Care about your enemy. Care about how your enemy's doing. Care about his goodwill. Be genuinely caring about your enemy. Well, wait a minute. He's my enemy. What's an enemy? An enemy is somebody who hates you. An enemy is somebody who has got it out for you. 
An enemy is somebody who lies about you. An enemy is somebody who cuts you down. An enemy is somebody who slanders you. An enemy is somebody who does bad to you. An enemy is somebody who hates you so much that if he had the ability to, and it was okay, and it was legal, he'd kill you. That's an enemy. No, 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 no. An enemy is supposed to be punched. An enemy is supposed to be screamed at. An enemy is supposed to be shot. An enemy is supposed to be run over with your car. An enemy is the kind of person you're supposed to go into the courtroom and say, Judge, kill him, kill him, execute him. That's what we want to do to enemies. And God says, no, instead of doing all of that, I want you to be deeply concerned for him. I want you to want his good. And you see, dear friends, the only way we could ever do this, and if you and I have struggled with this, the only way we've ever pulled it off was not naturally, is because God supernaturally helped us, enabled us, softened our hearts, and it helped us to genuinely care for and love our enemies. And you know what's wild? When you actually pull it off and you do it, everybody gets down on you. They're like, why are you being so nice to him? Why are you treating him so nice? Look what he did to you. Look what she did to you. You should get him back. Why are you turning the other cheek? Why are you praying God will bless them? Why are you doing good to them? See, grace is hard. And God is he's just so rich in it. But grace is hard. Not only that, grace not only has a genuine concern for one's enemy, grace does something about it. Grace acts upon it. And that's the wonder of, of grace. And it's so, grace is so extreme. It's so extreme. Like we can't even, we can't even illustrate this. We have a hard time illustrating this. What is it, like a man murders somebody's wife. He goes to prison and he gets kidney disease. And the man whose wife he murdered gives him a kidney. Like most of us would say, good, let him languish. I hope his other kidney goes. I hope he dies in prison. No, he gives him a kidney. Somebody murders your daughter and you go to prison for them because you don't want them to go to prison because you're concerned for their well-being? Grace doesn't make any sense. In one sense, grace doesn't make sense to us. We can't figure it out. Look at chapter, look at chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. We get saved through the blood of God's Son. We get forgiven of all of our sins because of the blood of God's Son, whom he sent according to the riches of his grace. It's amazing. The Bible speaks of this in Romans 5 when it says this. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Look at that. Christ died for the ungodly. That's grace. And so Paul wrestles with this a little bit. In verse 7, he says this, For scarcely for a righteous man one will die. We barely die for good people. He says, yet perhaps for a good man, someone might even dare die for a good man. But then in verse 8, Paul says this, But God demonstrates his own love, we could add grace there, toward us, in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And I didn't put up verse 10. Two verses later, Paul says this. For if when we were enemies, 
We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more now that we have been saved shall he take care of us? That's what Paul goes on to say. And so grace is wild because grace is this amazing love that, that sends forth his own son. Look at chapters 1, verse 6. Go up to verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted. Look at the last phrase there. In the beloved God gave his beloved. God gave his only son. God gave the one who is the expression of his image and the brightness of his glory and the one whom he has loved for all of eternity, the one who is one with him. God gave him for his enemies. God gave him to die. God gave him to bleed. God gave him to suffer because God's full of grace and he loves his enemies and he cares about our well-being and he loves sinners and he loves those who hate him. That's who God is. That's what God is. And this supremely amazing, shocking, unexpectedly beautiful, glorious thing, which all creation, all of creation was made so that God could demonstrate just how rich and amazing and beautiful and powerful his grace is. That's why the sun rises. That's why the moon comes up. That's why the planets revolve. That's why the universe exists. That's why God is at work, to show forth the glory of his grace. And dear friends, if that isn't glorious enough, look at what comes next. You see, dear friends, we're not in this theater sitting watching the display of God's grace. We've been taken out of our seats and we're on the stage and we're part of the amazing play that's being worked out. We're in the reality. Look at chapter, look at verse six again. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now we have a difficulty here, English speakers, we have a difficulty here, well, Bible translators have a difficulty here in dealing with English speakers because of what Paul actually says here is almost impossible to interpret accurately into English. And the reason is this. We have grace, the word grace, which is a noun, grace. There's grace. This is, this is what grace. But we don't have a verb that is called graced, to grace, to do grace. We don't have a verb. The closest we get is that somebody say, oh, the lovely princess came and graced our party with her presence. That's about as close as we get. But we don't have a verb for grace. Now, the Greek language does. Keratos is the word for grace, and keratao is the verb grace, to grace, to, to actively do grace, grace. We don't have that verb. Now, Paul, in verse 6, says this, to the praise of the glory of his keratos by which he keratowed us in the beloved. There's a word play going on here, a very powerful word play. And it should be, and so the English Bibles do the best they can. Some of your English Bibles will say accepted in the beloved. Some will say freely given. Some will say he favored us. But the word really should be translated like this, but it just makes such poor English. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he graced us in the beloved. Now, interesting thing is that word, that verb grace is only used one other time in the entire New Testament. One other time. It's only used one other time. And that's in Luke chapter 1. And here it is. An angel comes to the woman, this, this young woman, Mary, 
the angel's Gabriel, he comes to Mary, and he's about to tell Mary that of all of the women in the world, and God has blessed the world with women, with, with femininity and women. And one of the things that God has blessed the world and blessed humanity with, with women, is their ability to have children. And the ability to have children is one of the greatest blessings and purposes that women have in this life. They have the privilege of having a child and of, and of bringing a child from their bodies. That's a great blessing. But Mary has been given the greatest blessing of all the women in the world because in her womb, she is going to carry the very Son of God. In a virgin birth, she is going to carry the very Son of God. She is going to carry Jesus in her womb. And she has been chosen for that. Not because she's better than everybody else. Not because she's healthier. Not because she exercises. Not because she takes her vitamins. Not because she's the most super holy person in the world. She was chosen by grace. And that's what this is being said. And again, we can't translate this. So we translated it highly favored. Having come in, the angel said, Rejoice, graced one. Rejoice, graced one, he says. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. You have been graced. Now go back to Ephesians 1.6, and that's the word that is being used here. We have been graced. This vast tsunami of grace has washed over us. This amazing infinite ocean of grace that never ends and 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 never ends. We've been plunged in the middle of it and we live in this ocean of grace. We have been graced. We have been graced. We have been graced. And this is what Paul's getting at. And then verse 3 says, Blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have been graced. We have been chosen in him, verse 4. Before the foundation of the word, we've been graced. We've been chosen to be holy people before him in love, given the Holy Spirit, renewed, redeemed, given a new life, holiness at work within us. We've been graced. Verse 5, we've been predestined to be adopted. We've been adopted as his children. We've been graced. We haven't gotten to this yet, but verse 7, he redeemed us. He bought us through the blood of his son. We've been graced. At the end, it says, he, in, in this section, he says, we've been given the Holy Spirit, who's a down payment, a deposit, a guarantee. We've been graced. We've been made alive by Christ Jesus and his power. Look at chapter 2 and verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses and we've been made alive together, we've been graced. We've been graced. And guess what? We'll be graced forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Look at chapter 2 and verse 7. That in the ages to come, the eternities, the eons to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What is that verse saying? It's saying that forever and ever and ever and for billions and billions of years and eons and eons and eons, God's plan is to keep gracing us and gracing us and gracing us and pouring out his kindness and washing us over and giving us of the greatness and the riches of his grace. It's been poured out on us. The riches have been lavished upon us. And these things are going to happen forever and ever. God has loved his enemy. 
God sent his son to die for the unworthy, and we've been graced. Dear friends, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this? How do we even grasp it? We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. But dear friends, we need to realize how special this is. All of history, all of the cosmos, all of the world was created to show forth the glory of his grace. And we have been included in this. God has specially treated you so well. You have been graced, dear Christian. This should deeply move our hearts. This should deeply move our whole being. I have been graced by God. This should define who we are. It should be the thing that defines who we are. One of the sad, sad, crushing realities of the age that we live in right now, modern man, is that modern man has said, get away from me, God. Modern man has despised history, despised tradition, despised the family, despised everything, and then left us all alone, just completely naked, just alone, and says, now you decide who you are. You define yourself. You define, you decide who you are. And quite frankly, dear friends, that's too big of a weight for mere human beings to hold. And it's crushing us. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. Don't define yourself by how much money you make. Don't define yourself by the world's riches. Don't define yourself by accolades and academic degrees that you got. Or, or don't define yourself by what pleasures you seek after and, and what you've attained. Don't define yourself by your career. Don't define yourself by your goals. And all of this seems so small and petty and insignificant when you think of the fact that you have been graced by God. Adopted into his family. Chosen by him before the foundation of the world. Loved by him forever and ever and ever. He sacrificed his own son. Dear friends, we need to let this define us. We need to let this flow through every part of our DNA. We need to let this make us understand who we are. We have been graced. Take your money. Elon, take your money. Todd, I'll give you one week of my salary. I don't care about your salary. I'd rather be graced by Graced by God. This should energize us, dear friends. This should cause us to praise God and praise loudly and fervently and praise him with all of our heart. This should cause us to love him back with gratitude. This should bind us to him. This should make us thankful always. Oh, dear God, you have graced me. I think this is the whole center of gravity, energy flow, nuclear reactor that was the Apostle Paul. This Pharisee, this legalistic Pharisee, this despiser of Jesus meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And by grace, he's forgiven. By grace, he's saved. By grace, his eyes are open. By grace, he goes from saying, I was the best of all of my class of Jewish Pharisees to saying, I am the chief of all sinners. But I have experienced Dear ones, this should be defining us. But you know what? Enough about us. Let's talk about God.
Look at chapter 6 again. Or verse 6, I'm sorry. Let's, let's take each word, just, just, just savor them for a second here. To the praise, to the heartfelt adoration, praise, an expression of greatness, an expression of thanks, an expression of exaltation, to the praise of the glory, the splendor, the majesty, the beauty, the brilliance, the riches, the vastness of his grace, to the praise of the glory of his grace, his love to the unlovable, his love to the unworthy, his genuine concern for his enemies, his love to save and his desire to save those who should be destroyed. And instead of destroying us and pouring out his wrath upon us, he adopts us. He makes us into his family. He, he sacrifices his own son so that our sins can be atoned for. Instead of banishing us, he brings us into his very heart of hearts. And he does this through the beloved. To God be the glory. God is to be glorified. This is the theme of the choirs of heaven. This is the theme of the angels and the redeemed. This is what they sing and praise for. The God of grace. The God of grace. This was the goal that ever before time began, God was working on to show forth the glory of his grace. This is the chief end of man. This is the chief end of the world. This is why the Son of God came. This is what God has done. This is to be to the praise of the glory of his grace. This isn't even about us, although we've been graced. We're the example of his grace. This is about him. To God be glory. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Do you know what? Every time the gospel is preached, grace is extended. Grace. Every time the gospel is preached to the unbeliever, grace is extended. Come unto me. Come to me. Come. I'll save you. Catch, the, catch the, the spirit, catch the grace tones in Revelation twenty two seventeen, 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him hear say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Come unto me. Come unto me. Come and be saved. Doesn't it make perfect sense that the grace of God, this grace, this God who's so full of grace, would be so inviting to come, come, come. There's a free, genuine invitation of the gospel to every man, woman, boy, and girl. Jesus said, go into all the creation and tell the good news to every creature, every man, woman, boy, and girl. Go tell them. Go, make disciples of all the nations. Go, tell them the good news. Tell them the good news. Invite them to come. Extend my grace. Go into the highways and byways and invite them. The wedding feast is ready. Come in, come in. This is, this is God. This is God. This is the same God who sends the sun and the, and the rain and the crops and the field, the same good God who takes care of us, who feeds all the birds out there and is doing all this wonderful thing, taking care of his creation. This is a generous, generous grace God. And every time the gospel is preached, come, come and get your sins forgiven. 
Come and be adopted. Come and be in my family. Come, come, turn away from the sins. They're destroying you. Come, come, come to me. I love Ezekiel 33, 11. Such, such the heart of God. Say to them, God says, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? This is the heart of God. I think the greatest tragedy the world ever knows, the greatest tragedy that could ever happen is when grace is extended and it's refused. It's unthinkably horrible. Think with me for a minute here. And for those of you who are unbelievers, please, please, those of you who are not Christians right now, please listen to me, please. If you refuse God's grace, you refuse the gospel, you're going to go to hell. Jesus said it. I didn't. I don't even like talking about it, but Jesus said it, and I need to be faithful to him. You're going to go to hell. And in hell, it's going to be horrible. Torment, the Bible talks about. The fire that never goes out. The worm that never stops eating. Dreadful torment and tormented people. But I think the greatest torment of all will be for those who say, grace was right there in front of me. I could have touched it with my hands. Grace was right there. God was saying, come. Grace was right there. The preacher tried to talk me into it. He tried to convince me of it. He wept. Grace was right there, and I refused it. And now I'm in hell because I refused grace. I was so dead. My heart was so hard. I, was, I loved this stupid world so much. And this world that is now gone and all of the people that I admired are gone. They're in hell here with me. I was so selfish. I was so proud. Why did I say no when grace was right at my fingertips and I said no? A mountain, a tsunami of grace was ready to wash over me and I said no. No. I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to follow Christ. I want the world. I want it. I said no. And now I will perish forever. And I think that that would torment you to insanity, near, near insanity for all of eternity. Grace was right there and I said no. Oh dear ones, don't let this be your story. Run to Jesus Christ. Today is the day of grace. Today is the day of salvation. All you need to do is just bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, save me. You've offered to save me. I come to you. I'm forsaking this word. I'm forsaking my sin. I don't want anything but your grace and your love. And you've promised to forgive even a sinner like me. Forgive me. Save me. I believe in you. I will follow you. I'm yours. I'm coming. I accept your grace. Thank you so much that in grace you saved a wretch like me. Oh, dear ones, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray together.
Oh, of all the so-called gods out there, oh, Father, thank you so much that the God of grace is our God. And you are the one true and living God. There is no God beside you. And you are a God of grace. We could have never figured this out if you didn't show us. We could have never figured this out if you would not have sent your son. We look at the cross and there we see grace. We look at the blood and we see grace. We look at your son even coming and we see grace. We look at our own lives and how lost we were and arrogant. And you called us and you brought us to yourself and we see grace. Oh, Father, thank you. We feel the joy that even when the angel spoke to Mary and said, you've been graced. Lord, thank you that we've been graced. Thank you that we've been graced. Thank you that you are the God of grace. Thank you for bringing us in. Thank you for your son. And Father, for those who are here who do not know you, that have been resistant of you, oh, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will be working in their lives even now. And that if they're crying out to you right now, I pray, hear their cry. Hear their cry, oh God of grace. Save them by grace. And we will all say to the praise of the glory of your grace, we praise you. We praise you for the glory of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.